You're listening to this Legal Eagle with Marsha Chambers, and her special guest today is State Senator Ted Kennedy Jr. Welcome to the Legal Eagles radio show on WNHH, where we discuss the current legal and legislative issues of the day. Today, I want to welcome back Ted Kennedy Jr., our state senator for the 12th district. Uh, the 12th district is a shoreline district, way out there where it's snowing today, representing Branford, Guilford, North Branford, Madison, Durham, and Killingworth. Did I get that right, Ted? You got that right, Marsha. <laughs> Ted won election to the state Senate first in 2014 after state Senator Ed Meyer retired and he won again in 2016 and we're hoping he runs again in 2018, but we'll let that question go for another show. He has emerged as a leader in the Senate, especially in the environmental and health areas. So Ted, the legislative session begins um, next week, February 7th. That's right. We, we have a full agenda coming up. Okay. So let's talk about, um, What's on that agenda for you? Could you give us a little preview of what you see coming up uh, in the Senate? Um, Well, certainly. Well, I think uh, it's no surprise to any of your listeners that uh, government finance is going to be the key issue that really dominates, I think, this next session. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that uh, the state of Connecticut is in trouble financially, and um, I think it's a real positive step that last October, although we passed the budget uh, a a number of months late, we finally came together, Democrats and Republicans came together to pass a compromise budget to to move this state forward. So I think uh, it's time to put the partisan bickering aside and really come together as a team. Now, there were some things in that budget that I didn't like, but I think by and large, uh, we need to collaborate and work in a bipartisan way uh, to solve the, the, the problems of our state. What didn't you like? Well, I mean, there were some issues uh, that pertain to, for example, uh, permitting processes at oh. DEEP, for example, oh, yes. um, uh, requiring DEEP to, to respond to certain permit requests within uh, a period of time, right. um, at the same time that we're also cutting the agency budget. So we're we're demanding more and more of our agencies, yet... Um, and not giving them the resources that they need to pro- to uh, protect the public health. Right. So, yes, the budget has got to be absolutely front and center. I think we were the last state in the nation to actually adopt a budget. So it went on for quite a while. And um, as you go forward, I mean, there are, there are certain areas that where people think maybe the state can get some money, tolls, for example, how, where are you on tolls? Well, I've been a <clears throat> I've been a, a big supporter of tolls, or at mm. least congestion pricing. And I think there's a difference because the um, congestion pricing uh, charges drivers depending on the time of the day that they drive. So mm. it incentivizes people to uh, perhaps drive in on the you know in the off in the off times, mm-hmm. uh, and it frees up the congestion on our roads. So. I think mm. when you look at the Department of Transportation studies that have been done, and a number of them have been done in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the department estimates that Connecticut can uh, uh, can achieve between eight and nine hundred million dollars a year uh, yeah. by uh, by tolling in Connecticut. Now, you know, anyone who drives their car from New Haven down to Washington mm-hmm. D.C. knows that you know every state along the way. Uh, charges drivers and we have about 40 percent of the cars traveling through our state um are from out of state so my my recollection is we did have tolls 
we did have tolls at one time. We're not talking about the kind of tolls that you have to stop and right. throw in <clears throat> your, your quarters and nickels and dimes mm-hmm. into. We're talking about the electronic tolls like they have on the Mass Pike. Anyone who's driven mm-hmm. to Boston recently mm-hmm. knows that you don't slow down. It's done electronically and um mm. and it doesn't it 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 it's a been a big success for a lot of these states who have are addressing their crumbling infrastructure problem through the people who use the road. So I think the time has really come uh to have a serious discussion about this. Now in my district, mm-hmm. which is as you just pointed out mm-hmm. surround the New Haven shoreline suburbs, mm-hmm. um it, by and large, people are supportive of the tolls. Uh-huh. Um, where it becomes more of a political issue are for legislators who live in Stamford or New London and who have people who live in their district who perhaps cross a state border in order to get to their job. We can account for that. We have, you know, easy pass. We can uh, come up with a solution so you're not impacting people who, for example, need to cross a state border in order to get to work. Uh, and I think those are, are are details that can easily be worked out. Right. That's where the resistance has been. <clears throat> I think that's mm-hmm. been the resistance. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, people want the confidence to know that if you're going to impose tolls or you're going to impose an, an additional fuel tax of some sort, mm-hmm. that that money has to go <clears throat> into a lockbox. It has to go into a fund that cannot be raided, that cannot be diverted, because as you know, Throughout our state's history, we have a track record. Oh, we do. Uh, we uh, we had Senator Blumenthal, for example, um, you know, settle with the large tobacco companies and and you know claim that the the money was all going to go into public health. Well, it turns out that less than five percent of all that tobacco money actually goes into things like healthcare and tobacco cessation and and whatnot. The General Assembly grabs that money and uses it for other purposes. The same is true with our lottery. It was promised to go into education, mm-hmm. and now that money is used for other right. governmental functions. <clears throat> so I think people um, want to know that, yes, if they're going to pay additional tolls for mm-hmm. using the roads, mm-hmm. they want to be assured. And that's why I support a constitutional amendment, a, a, a lockbox. It'll hopefully be on the ballot this fall to take that money oh, and make sure that that money cannot be diverted. And I think people will support the type of measure if they know that that money is indeed going to maintain our roads. Right, because the lockbox has never been locked. The lockbox has never been locked, no. Right, right, yeah. So we've we've discussed this, because it's wild what happens at 4 a.m. Well, you know, this is an interesting issue because I think both the business community and Mm. and, uh, the business community in Fairfield County is supportive of tolls because Uh they deal with terrible traffic down in Fairfield County. Yes, and. And they and they need, they know that we need money to put into our infrastructure because for our long term economic sustainability of our state we need we need more uh, you know we need better roads and we need to invest in our public transportation right, uh, system right, as well right 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 and also given the budget given that the state is not giving towns the money for infrastructure that they had in the past I mean we've got to find a way. We do. Right. <clears throat> so we do. So can I address the one of the questions that you asked me just a moment ago? Yes. Which is some of the issues that I intend to work on uh, as a legislator this year. As you know, uh, because you, because <laughs> you cover you so, do such a great job in covering the shoreline for the Brantford Eagle when you're not uh, hosting uh, radio programs <laughs> such you. as this. Um, I focus uh, my energy on a, a couple of discrete areas, namely 
the environment and public health. I am the mm -hmm. Senate co-chair of the Environment Committee, mm -hmm. uh, and in that capacity, uh, I am working hard every day to preserve and protect our environmental assets that we have in our state. Mm -hmm. Things like a clean Long Island Sound, clean, things like uh, removing plastic pollutants from our rivers and streams, farmland preservation and yes. open space preservation, clean air, uh, toxic pesticides in our schools and our municipal playgrounds. These are the constellation of the different mm -hmm. issues that I'm working on uh, as the Environment Committee Chair. I also am very interested in the issue of health care. Mm -hmm. When I'm not, we have a part-time General mm -hmm. Assembly, as, as <laughs> your listeners may know. Mm -hmm. um, it's a citizen legislature, meaning that really for the next few months, we're more or less devoted full-time mm -hmm. to our legislative uh, capacities. But most legislators have outside work, have outside employment. And I think that's a good thing because mm -hmm. you really mm -hmm. bring in people from a variety of different viewpoints into the legislature. And I think the legislature in our state benefits from having people with, from all walks of life come and serve in our general assembly. So um, my expertise has really been in the area of healthcare law. Um, as you may know, I, um, I serve, I'm a partner in a law firm called Epstein Becker green, which is one of the leading healthcare regulatory law firms in the country. Before that time, I was uh, the head of legal and regulatory affairs at the Connecticut Hospital Associ Association, and I also was an associate at the law firm of Wigan and Dana for a number of years. So, so I've really focused on healthcare, how we can make healthcare uh, more affordable, more efficient, uh, more transparent, more accessible to uh, the people who are utilizing the healthcare system, recognizing too that connect, that uh, healthcare is one of our strategic assets that we have in our in our area. Mm -hmm. We have incredible healthcare companies here, including you know the major mm -hmm. uh, healthcare uh, insurance companies, including yes. Aetna and Cigna <clears throat> and others. We also have <clears throat> institutions <throat> like Yale New Haven <clears throat> Hospital. Medtronic has a huge facility <clears throat> in North Haven. We have a, a, a robust. Uh, uh, small but very robust biotech cluster here mm -hmm. in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be doing more as a state to harness the know-how and knowledge and the people that we have here uh, because I think that's going to be key to our economic uh, uh, sustainability in the future. Given <clears throat> the direction of the federal government at the moment, what impact has the Trump administration had on health care in Connecticut, and how are you handling that? Well, um, first, I'll respond to the mm -hmm. impact of the Trump administration on the environment, because okay. um, anyone who follows environmental issues knows that we have an EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, his, who's the most anti-environment administrator than we've ever had, and that's not, not me saying it. No. It's also <clears throat> former EPA <clears throat> administrators that have been appointed by Republican presidents are also shocked and horrified by the changes that are going on at the EPA. The people who he's brought into the EPA are mm -hmm. all former uh, coal and other industry, extraction industry representatives who are there now making the rules. Mm -hmm. So you have the fox guarding the hen house, and you have a situation where a lot of these mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, hard-fought protections of, for clean air and clean water are now being watered down, no pun intended. So... So what does that mean for Connecticut? <clears throat> well, when you cut, when <clears throat> President Trump uh, calls to cut the federal EPA by 33 percent, 
a lot of the money that we get in our state to to uh, 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 preserve and protect our environment and public health actually is flows through the federal government. So then that puts us at a at a disadvantage because we don't have the personnel to monitor the mm-hmm. beaches, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a hundred over 120 <clears throat> miles of shoreline in our mm-hmm. state. We don't have the resources to ensure that those waters are clean and, sw- and uh, ability to mm-hmm. swim and fish mm-hmm. in those in those waters. Um, we have uh, major sewage uh, treatment plants um, in our state that are very costly to yes. maintain, hugely yes. costly yes. to maintain. And a lot of that funding comes from our state and comes from the federal government uh, through the Clean Water Act. So um, what what my goal is now is to try to hold the line, to try to hold the line until we get to the end of this current administration in Washington, D.C., so Connecticut can maintain its position mm-hmm. as having a longstanding mm-hmm. commitment to the environment. And I will say that, um, that legislators, both Democrat and Republican, throughout Connecticut's history have been mm-hmm. strong mm-hmm. environmentalists. Yes. Um, the Environment Committee is one of the most um, uh, collaborative and bipartisan committees in the General Assembly. Um, because I think people recognize that we need uh, clean rivers, <clears throat> we need open space, mm-hmm. we need um, uh, we that it's part of our um, e- e- economic. It's part of our culture, mm-hmm. as you said. Um, so I think um, we have some important uh, issues that we're that we're working on. One of the key issues <clears throat> is the issue of climate change. Yes, um, Commissioner mm-hmm. Clee. Mm-hmm who's the commissioner of our Ener- Department of Energy and Environmental <clears throat> uh, Protection, <clears throat> um, recently came out with uh, the startling news that the sea level of <clears throat> Long Island Sound will rise <clears throat> between 18 and 20 inches by the year 2050. Okay, so by the year 2050, <clears throat> between 18 and... And that's a consensus number. This <clears throat> is taking all the best available <clears throat> information and putting it into a model and making projections. So that has a huge impact on everyone listening to this show right now because you're uh, most likely living Mm. in a coastal community, a city like New Haven, or in my district, Mm. living along Mm. the coast. Mm -hmm. And what are the implications for that sea level rise on our Mm. infrastructure, on our towns, Mm -hmm. on the coastal properties or people who live next to the water? Um, We need to really begin to think seriously about uh, how we um, think and plan for that uh, eventuality. Another important <clears throat> issue uh, that you may have been following mm. um, it was the situation in Waterbury. Uh, was widely reported in the statewide news of uh, the spills, the sewage treatment so, plant right. that has uh, polluted uh, the Housatonic River, and right. the fact that uh, the, mm. the 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 uh, Mayor mm. O'Leary of Waterbury and other elected officials didn't even know about where none of the downstream uh, uh, chief elected officials were even informed of the spill, the five million gallons of raw sewage that went into the Housatonic were never even informed of that until over a week later. They needed to read about it in the newspaper. So so we are going to propose a sewage right to know um, a bill that, mm-hmm. that gives citizens, downstream residents and elected officials um, more information so that they know they so in order that they can prepare mm. for it and that citizens know who is polluting and why. Just one on on, on this before we leave this. Sure. Right. Um, at least on our shoreline, 
you know, not every town has sewers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so uh, that's an interesting problem given the rising seas. Yes. Well, you know, we all, we, may, maybe like in Brantford, we do have a centralized uh, sewage uh, treatment uh, facility. Um, there are some people in other parts of Brantford that are on septic, but but, but the but, point is, but is example, that we all, all share Stone, the water. And right, so, we all, right, and Stony Creek, for example, is on a septic system. Yes. And parts of Short Beach, where I live, are on a septic so, system. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're faced with the rising seas, and you say, huh, what could happen? Yes. Well, I mean, you're making my point. I yeah. think we need to think about this very clearly and um and 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 <clears throat> i think there's going to be some <clears throat> some bold initiatives coming out of deep the governor's bill uh to try to address some of these uh some of these issues or at least <clears throat> get the conversation going <clears throat> right yeah because it's hard to get the con- conversation going when people can't envision it yes well that's true too so <laughs> it is the biggest environmental <clears throat> issue facing our <clears throat> state and our planet uh is global warming and as you know the storms mm. that we've experienced, um, the 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 these events, the very, uh, 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 for example, a lot <clears throat> of rain in a very short period of time, right. and then long periods during the summer right. of drought and heat, right. um, have big implications for how we manage our uh, fresh water supply, for mm-hmm. example, in mm-hmm. the state, and how we plan uh, mm-hmm. for the future, because this th- these are going to continue. Not to mention, of course, the storms that we expect and the storms will be more intense and uh, more frequent. So is there any legislation in the upcoming session? Are you thinking about um, something involving climate change or, or how impact? On yes. the state? Is there something specific I well, should ask there's, about? There's, um, well, there's uh, coastal resiliency proposals mm-hmm. um, to try to mm-hmm. encourage uh our shoreline now. New Haven has really been in the vanguard in many ways mm-hmm. for for already making plans for uh, potential sea level rise, um, but other coastal communities have really had no such planning efforts at all. So um, the second issue is what are we going to do about hydrocarbons and our state's continued reliance on hydro- hydrocarbons? So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some uh, discussions about how to. A move to a, a, a carbon-free, a hydrocarbon-free uh, energy solution mm-hmm. within a certain peri- period of time, uh, giving people time to adjust mm-hmm. to that, but also uh, incentivizing these alternative uh, energy, green energy producers, because this is an important part of our economy, too. Uh, green energy it, uh, Jobs are mm-hmm. are local <clears throat> jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, we we think that that's also a uh, a mechanism to promote economic mm-hmm. growth in our state as well mm-hmm. as clean air. Right, uh, and any other areas of the environment? <clears throat> so um, you may know that last year I uh, uh, proposed a bill that uh, looked at the widespread practice of spraying. Uh, toxic chemicals along our roads. Yes. So um, as a state, uh, we spray hundreds of thousands of pounds of toxic herbicides and pesticides along our road. Right, along uh, our state roads. Along our state roads. Right, but like, those include Route 1, for example, right, right, not just 95, right, I'm right, talking, or right. Route 142 <clears throat> in Brantford and the like. These are right, state roads. roads right. And People don't know uh, uh, what chemicals are being used, what the target uh, is, uh, the types of chemical, the frequency of these chemicals. 
And so I uh, initial, my initial proposal was to prohibit the uh, the roadside spraying. I wrote that. Wrote um, about that. I remember but, that. My- but it, that was there was some pushback from mm-hmm. namely the Department of Transportation who said, well, we've got vegetation that needs to be managed, et cetera, uh, and that'll be a huge cost. So um, I then came back with an a alternative pro- proposal to at least alert the population. Um, many of those people who you just talked about who are on wells, that, that those chemicals leach into our soil and leach into people's drinking Homes. water. Right. So um, it was, I was, um, we were fortunate to have you know, a wide bipartisan support for that mm-hmm. uh, a right to know. Again, mm-hmm. it would be a right to know mm. uh, type of legislation. So people like Tony Boucher uh, and people like um, uh, Craig Miner, who's my counterpart on mm. the Environment Committee, mm-hmm. and other uh, Republicans also signed on to that uh, right to know legislation mm. because mm-hmm. I think it's hard to argue, Marsha, with <laughs> uh, uh, transparency in government and what your tax dollars are being spent on. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, So you're talking about how both sides of the aisle, at least on the environmental issues and perhaps the health issues, get together. And that's kind of fascinating, number one, that it actually exists, not only in our state but in our country, uh, that it doesn't exist in our country but it does exist in the state. Um, And have you thought about um, how that happens? Is it just the subject matter like the environment or health, and we, we care about that so we can come together? Because you could probably do far more things. You can be stronger in your legislation going forward, knowing you have a bipartisan support. Well, you know, on I think over 90% of the bills that we pass mm-hmm. in the General Assembly, we pass about 250 bills a year. Mm-hmm. 90% of those are passed with broad bipartisan oh, okay. support. I didn't know okay. that. Okay. A lot of people just think because the press, Marsha. Oh, God, uh, it's that press, press again, that the, damn the press. press. <laughs> the, well, they love controversy and criticism. That's right. what they right. like. Right. And that's and we live in the world now of political sound bites mm-hmm. and people talking to their bases, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes the general public thinks that, you know, no one's really getting along. But we just saw a budget that I just talked about a few minutes ago mm-hmm. that passed with broad bipartisan support. It is possible, and uh, most of the work mm-hmm. that we do, mm-hmm. that I do in the healthcare area, the 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 uh, since I've been in the legislature only three mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've authored and passed over sixty pieces of legislation, wow. which is a lot of bills. Yes, that's okay? a lot. Yeah, and most of those bills, by far, over ninety five percent of them have passed with broad bipartisan support because we try to accommodate other people's points of view before we try to, to get something done. So whether it's the pollinator, we have the mm-hmm. nation's strongest pollinator health law. Now, mm-hmm. you know, people say, well, why do we need to protect bees and other beneficial insects? <laughs> well, because we have a huge agricultural economy, for example, we've lost almost 70% of our bees in our state. And if we oh. lose bees because of these toxic chemicals that are used on these crops, right. it's going to kill our a- agricultural economy. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, one you can work together, mm-hmm. you work in, a, we have tremendous assets here, like the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station that's just right up the road from where we're sitting right now, right. where they have, we have real experts in um, in data for things like pollinator health and for climate change and for other 
uh, uh, issues such as that. So we have tremendous resources here in our own mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. And if you really look at the science, and I, I believe that as a legislature, we need to focus on science, evidence-based decision-making. Mm -hmm. It's hard for even the biggest detractors mm -hmm. uh, to uh, rebut uh, solid scientific evidence. Right. Well, that, yeah, okay, that, good to it, know. It, 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 it goes on. But, it goes on. Right. But, uh, but there are some issues, I think, where, where the Democrats have, um, have really taken the lead and, and, and really uh, been talking about issues that are really meaningful to working families. I had a bill last year, for example, mm. that was a fair scheduling bill. Um, it was a, a bill to try to eliminate the abusive labor practice of on-call shift scheduling. Hmm. On-call shift scheduling is a practice that's widespread in our retail sector and in our fast food uh, industry, where people, um, are their schedules are unknown. Uh, they're call, they call in you know, the morning that they're supposed to show up to work and are told they're, they're not needed after having arranged childcare and whatnot. Hmm. So it, I called for... Uh, 24-hour notice. Right. I mean, who who among us could could have a job, wake up in the morning, take a shower, and not know whether or not you're actually supposed to report to work or not? So I called for 24-hour notice. If you change somebody's schedule less than 24 hours, mm -hmm. now several other states have enacted a three-week, wow, three-week uh, scheduling a uh, change bill. I was just calling for 24 hours, Marsha, but it was it was startling to me the type of pushback we got from many of our retailers and many of the people in the fast food industry here in our state who simply don't want to give their employees 24 hours notice before they're expected to show up for work. So that is a issue that I think Democrats are going to... So did to, it fail? Are, it, it did. It passed out of the Labor Committee but was never called for a vote. Um, in either chamber because I think so many members were afraid mm -hmm. of the pressure that they are being put under by the restaurant association and others who who really want to maintain the upper hand. Mm -hmm. But the Democrats have always been for working families right. and ordinary Americans. Uh, the wealthiest <clears throat> of our citizens here in mm -hmm. the state mm -hmm. have their lobbyists, they have their attorneys. We're there to make sure that people, ordinary, everyday working Americans... Uh, can have their rights protected too. So will you uh, reintroduce this I'll bill? I'll reintroduce that bill, yes, this okay. year as well. Again, and so you'll... Okay. Maybe a modified version of the uh, bill, uh -huh. uh, for example, mm. to give people mm. extra pay if they're scheduled, so not to eliminate the practice entirely, which seemed to be the biggest objection, changing right. somebody's um, schedule at the last minute. But if you do, then you owe that person, say, an extra couple of hours of 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 pay if right, you, if right. you make that change. So not to prohibit it entirely, but to also compensate people if a change mm. is made. So over the years, we've had conversations about another idea that tends not to make it every <laughs> And that's the um, emergency certification uh, concept. Yes. Uh, and we've talked about that. And could you uh, tell our listeners about uh, how it happens that a 700-page budget arrives at the legislative floor with about maybe 24 hours to pass it, and everybody's got to sort of read it. I might be wrong on the 24 hours, maybe it's 72 hours, but it's not much time. Well, I have to be <clears throat> careful with 
about how I talk about this, Marsha, because I've gotten into trouble. I know you have gotten uh, into trouble, because, but be careful and talk about it. <laughs> no, because um, I have called for a reform of the way that we utilize our emergency certification process. So let me just explain <clears throat> to your li listeners what normally happens when you, a bill becomes before the legislature. Mm -hmm. What normally happens is somebody has a proposal and you have a public hearing on that proposal. So mm -hmm. you have a chance for all sides to come together pro and con. You have allow members of the, the committees to ask questions before that bill even makes it to the floor. It's <clears> gone <throat> through a certain vetting process, okay? <clears throat> I think what the emergency certification is <clears throat> a, a provision that we have in our state <clears throat> law that does exactly what it sounds like. That in an emergency, and what we're <clears throat> talking about is um, <clears throat> what the initial proponents were, some natural catastrophe or something right. has befallen our state that requires immediate, immediate government action on a particular issue okay right <clears throat> that's what the that was why we had that however in my view it's been abused to just mm -hmm. contain all kinds of different issues for mm -hmm. and i think one i just came from this morning for example from the greater new haven chamber of commerce mm -hmm. and one of the key things that the business leaders say is that you know we we're tired of like at the very last minute some proposal comes forward like you know, taxing second mm. homeowners or the, you know, the dollar fee per month fee on our cell phones or right. something like that, and they, that no one has ever heard of before. That's the first time they ever hear about it is literally the moment that they're being asked to vote on it. Right. And in my opinion, I think legislators need time to consider the issues that they're about to vote on. Okay. So uh, I called for a 72 hour <clears throat> Um, a time period between some between the time a legislator receives a document and the time they're asked to vote on it. Now we did make some improvements this year. It was a negotiated uh, agreement together with the Republicans. So now we have instituted a twelve-hour. Oh my a, goodness! A you 12, managed twelve hours. Isn't a, that great? A twelve-hour uh, period. So it al that allows time in the state senate. The House have different rules. But in the state Senate, we now have 12 hours to review the document. As you said, it's seven, 800, 900 pages long uh, so that we can better understand. But then again, sometimes we get the document at 12 midnight and the vote is called for noon, oh, the, noon. noon the next day. And it's very hard to digest this material. I think people in our state, I, the one complaint that you hear over and over again mm. by our business <clears throat> community, and again, I'm not sitting here, you know, uh, you know, defending our, you know, all the practices of our business community. Lord knows I give them a tough enough time as it is. But in fairness to them, they do need some predictability, okay, and some certainty and, and knowing what their, you know, taxes are going to be, what the new regulations are going to be before they're literally blindsided about these changes at the very last minute. Right. So that idea of i mean is it do we stay at you know 72 hours or 12 well, hours or it, well, well, the, the think, house doesn't do it i mean well the issue is i think we have had some positive changes but those are rules that need to be agreed to by both democrats and republicans so it's Again, the leader it's the leaders of the democratic it's the leaders of the, of the, the well it's the leaders of both parties both have parties. to agree on right. what the rules are right right, right. so in this last session there was a slight change, as I just mentioned to you, right. 
from zero time right. to 12 hours, which I regard <clears throat> as a, a, a modest <laughs> improvement. Right. And it's interesting because in the Senate now, you have an equally divided Senate. That's right. And you now, I guess, for the first time, have uh, two leaders that are, yes. e- is that, would you, could you explain? You have Marty Looney from New Haven, uh, Len Fasano from North Haven, and one, the Democrat and the Republican, and they have, they, they are both running the Senate. That is somewhat unique. Um, so it, might it be easier? I mean, I don't know. It could be easier in terms of this bill trying to get something Continuing. Well, you know, when I think not just in terms of this bill, but when I think in terms of overall legislation, mm-hmm. what has been the impact, okay, you might ask, right. of the tied Senate, okay? Right. And I think the impact is that it, it forces us to work in a more collaborative way. Yes, hmm. the Democrats do have that tie-breaking vote of Nancy Wyman, okay? Yeah, right. But <clears throat> in my view, it would be a mistake for the Democrats just to force every single issue, pass it along a party line vote and have it broken by a tie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only happened in a, in a handful of cases. Um, so I think, you know, it, the practicality, Marcia, is, for example, if I'm going to bring out a bill out of the Environment Committee uh, talking about herbicide right to know or talking about drought or things like that, if it passes out of the Environment Committee on a narrow party line vote, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. comes to the Senate, they're not going to call that bill because mm. um, the to- floor time is really limited. And they want to call bills that can get through that have been negotiated. Clearly, that is a contra- anything that comes out of it. And people look down. How did it come out of the committee? Mm-hmm. And if now look, if it comes out of the Environment Committee with you know, two or three no votes. I mean, you can you can work on that and you can probably mm-hmm. get the bill uh, onto the Senate floor. But if it's a narrow, very narrow vote, um, it's going to raise all kinds of red flags. So mm-hmm. it kind of forces us to work more collaboratively mm-hmm. earlier in the process. That's interesting. Um, and so as a practical matter, I think it hasn't had a huge change in mm-hmm. the way I I'm a very collaborative person by nature, so mm. it hasn't really had a huge change, for example, for me and mm-hmm. the, the, the way I have run the Environment Committee. Um, but um, so, uh, you know, but, it, it, but and then I think that the only other p- important point is that, again, the, the press seems to focus on these, you know, very narrow uh, cluster of issues that are the most controversial and leaving the leaving the public with the impression <clears> that <throat> we really don't work together that well and function that well together, which mm-hmm. is not, not really the case. No, no. And I've known that because of your, <clears throat> we've had conversations about that. I've always yeah. found that to be, you know, you know, good in terms of moving forward. Um, it doesn't happen in every state legislature yeah. or certainly at the federal level. Um, so as we go forward, I mean, there's still discussion every day, uh, different newspapers on the opioid crisis. Yes. Um, very sad, very difficult uh, situation. Um, is there anything new legally coming up on that? I know you've done a lot of work. Um, well, um, uh, this is, uh, 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 we have a real public health epidemic in our state, mm-hmm. as you may we know. Yes. Opioid uh, overdoses are have skyrocketed over 25% a year. 
and this is affecting everybody. Right. Uh, <clears throat> suburban, <clears throat> urban, black, white. I mean, it crosses all socioeconomic uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Last year, we passed a pretty comprehensive opioid bill to try to address this situation. <clears throat> I had a very small proposal in that bill that was incorporated into the final bill uh, for a standing order for Narcan. Narcan is mm-hmm. the opioid um, mm-hmm. overdose reversal medication that <clears throat> can be administered either through an injection or through a nasal spray. Right. And my uh, Connecticut did not have a standing order. Standing order means you can walk into a pharmacy, no questions asked, and get Narcan, which you're able to do now in our state. Okay, mm. Many people were reluctant to go in there, were maybe parents of people uh, 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 whose, whose child may be using heroin and they're afraid mm-hmm. uh, to go in. They can now go in to any pharmacy in our state where you're a loved one you know is abusing heroin or uh, other opioids. You can get Narcan now in the drugstore, no questions asked, through this standing order model. So I think that that's, but let's face it, hmm. you can be, you can have your uh, overdose uh, reversed, but what are we doing as a state to actually right. address <clears throat> that person's right. underlying addiction? Right. Okay. Right. And that's <clears throat> where we really <throat> need to uh, <clears throat> put our time, effort, and energy, it seems to me, is by, is by ensuring that anybody who wants help uh, can get help. Um, Unfortunately, you know, we have, and this is goes, goes to, speaks to <clears throat> the issues that I focus on mm-hmm. in my work as a disability rights activist, mm-hmm. um, because that, of course, includes mm-hmm. not just people with physical disabilities, but uh, intellectual disabilities and uh, substance use disorders and mental health conditions as well. We're all part of the same group. And mm-hmm. I think one of the issues has been uh, that I'm going to be working on again is uh in trying to ensure equality of access for people with mental health conditions. Right now, you know, we have the federal law that was passed uh, nearly 10 years ago, the Mm -hmm. Mental Health Parity uh, and Addiction Act. Um, Mm -hmm. Yet people think, and a lot of the obvious um, uh, differences in plan design, like the Mm co-pays and the deductibles Mm -hmm. and co-insurance, have been eliminated, okay, Mm -hmm. from... Mm -hmm. The health plans have, not, have eliminated those obvious differentials in, mm-hmm. in care for mm-hmm. mental health and addiction services versus med, med surgical services. However, it's still extremely hard to identify a provider who will, who will accept your insurance and uh, treat you if you have a mental health condition right now. Mm-hmm. So we have a ne- <clears throat> network problem. We have... A lot of people, for example, the, the provider network, if you have Aetna, Cigna, Blue Cross, right. Blue Shield, whatever it is, <clears throat> you look to the provider network and, you know, how many pe- how many pediatricians, who can I go to if I need a consultation for a dermatologist or, right. uh, or to get a, uh, uh, you know, an eye exam or right. something. Well, um, there's, there's a panel of psychiatrists and other behavioral health uh, uh, people in those in those provider lists. However, many of those providers uh, are not accepting new patients Mm -hmm. or only work in an inpatient capacity. So we were able to pass last year Hmm. a reform to these healthcare provider directories Mm -hmm. and, and clearly list if somebody is 
is not only takes your insurance, because technically you can take the insurance, but simply not be accepting new patients. <laughs> so you can, uh, to clearly identify those people who are available to see a, somebody on an outpatient basis. So, mm -hmm. so that was an important reform. Um, Governor Christie, to his credit, mm -hmm. I mean, I know he's a Republican and all that, um, <laughs> but to his credit, he, um, he did uh, uh, support mm -hmm. and spearhead an important effort in New Jersey to ensure that anybody with uh, an addiction disorder can get access and, and mandating mm -hmm. that, that health plans doing business mm -hmm. in the state of New Jersey cover people with addiction disorders. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we need to, we need to do something different, Marcia. <clears throat> we need to do something radical. So because might that idea be on your plate? Potentially, potentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different ideas out there. We've already limited the number of, of days that you can, that you can obtain, for example, uh, mm -hmm. opioids before, mm -hmm. you know, when you got your teeth pulled, you know, five or 10 years ago, they'd give you a 30 day supply right. when really you may only, you probably only need two or three days worth right. of, 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 of pain pills. Right. So we have addressed that. Uh, so what, what does a person who's addicted do now? I mean, just the ordinary guy, well, what, you know, what, what, it, what, how do they even deal with if it? you have insurance, right. it's very, very hard. In fact, uh, Medicaid people on uh -huh. Medicaid, right. uh, actually have better access to mental health mm. and addiction services than somebody who is uh, on commercial insurance or maybe uh, uh, covered by their parents' health right. plan. Right. Um, so we need to be doing a, a much better job in ensuring this that... This is huge because, I mean, I mean, you don't have... I mean, if, if there's a crisis, they'll get help. The ambulance will come. They'll, you know... But it doesn't seem like there's a consistent way of doing well, it. Well, here's a, another reform that I'm, I'm, I'm planning on introducing as well. Right now, for example, you just described a scenario where, for example, an ambulance will come pick somebody up. Let's just say they're a 20-year-old who lives in Brantford mm -hmm. who've overdosed in their house. Now right. <clears throat> they've been revived. They're on their way to Yale New Haven Hospital and right. sitting in the emergency room, and they need to be admitted to the hospital, okay? Right. Many times the health insurance company says, we are not going to pay for that hospitalization, okay? <clears throat> so... Why am I shocked my, by that? My, my <laughs> bill would put the <clears throat> onus on, and, and then the parent, they discharge the, the, uh, the patient and, and make the parents and the patient call through. Remember that directory I, we were just talking about? Right, right. Call through that directory in a desperate attempt to try to find help for their kid. There's other states, including California, where the onus is shifted mm -hmm. from the patient to the health insurance company. So in California... If you show up at the emergency room and the and the health plan denies you inpatient hospitalization, they're required to at least give you the name of a partial hospitalization program or perhaps a local community provider and have that coverage pre-approved so mm -hmm. you don't just show up at the partial mm -hmm. hospital program on Monday morning and have to go through the rigmarole all over again. So it seems that we need to, if somebody is a policyholder and paying into that insurance company, mm -hmm. the insurance company has a duty, if they're going to deny coverage, for example, for an inpatient stay for a substance use disorder, mm -hmm. they at least need to provide that patient some options, mm -hmm. community options, and not just say, well, we're not going to cover it. 
Right, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating problem, I mean, on a, on a daily basis. And um, as you, uh, I know that you are recently elected as the new chairman of the American Association of People with Disabilities. Yes. One of your aims is, you know, to go forward with programs, many of which may have been cut by the current administration in Washington. Um, uh, how has the <coughs> Trump government changed services for the disabled in Connecticut and, and how are you dealing with that? So um, this is a big issue, mm-hmm. not just for America, but for the state of Connecticut. In mm-hmm. my district alone, mm-hmm. I, I have about 100,000 people. Uh, there's over 12,000 people with disabilities in my little district wow. all by itself. So, I have no idea. And when you include, mm-hmm. for example, the family caregivers okay, mm-hmm. or family members, that then because becomes a huge issue for people to deal with, okay? Because they're caring for an elderly parent, somebody with Alzheimer's, someone living in their home who's one step away from having to go into a nursing home, but are being kept taken care of at home because of that family caregiver. So, um, <clears throat> so what we're doing at AAPD is, mm-hmm. um, I I'm the new board chair. I've been on their board for about 15 years, and we're the umbrella organization that really pulls together all the different disability rights groups. So you have Federation for the Blind, United Cerebral Palsy, and Autism Speaks, and the list goes on and on and on. We're the umbrella organization that's the leading disability rights public policy office for people with disabilities. And Mm -hmm. we are trying to to stop the harmful changes that are happening as a result of this new administration. You know, disability rights have always been bipartisan, Marcia. Right. in fact, the organization that I now chair, AAPD, was co-founded by Bob Dole, who was the mm-hmm. Republican nominee for president mm-hmm. of the United States. So mm-hmm. historically, these have always been bipartisan issues until now, where you've seen uh, President Trump and the people that he's nominated at the Department of Education, at the Department of Justice, where we've gone dropped from in the Obama days, 40 or 50 ADA enforcement attorneys now down to four. Four people. Four who are trying to, <clears throat> trying to enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act nationwide. Nationwide? Yes. Yeah. So we're, I, I can go on and on and on about people with pre-existing health care conditions and the latest Republican tax proposal that disfavors people with disabilities mm. and their families. But I, I see you're looking at your watch and I'm only wondering looking at how my watch we're going to have I, that I, I, Yes, because I'm, I've just been told we have probably a minute. So okay. uh, this is a very good occasion. You have to have me back on your show. Okay, I'm glad you said it, because this area is really important. And, uh, I mean, everything is. We're, but- we're talking about home and community-based care. That is the solution. It's cheaper. Right. It's what people want. They want to age in place. They don't want to live in an institutional setting. Right. And that's where we need to and focus. And frankly, the states don't want that either. They've yep. basically gotten they, rid of most of the institutions. That's right. So it's really, it's a really, it's a moment where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Um, looks like our time is up. And so it goes fast when the topics are so interesting. We want to thank Senator Ted Kennedy for joining us in our New Haven studio today. Snow aside, we both made it in. Uh, so glad to have you thank you in, for your me, and thank you for sharing your thoughts and to our listeners you can go to the newhavenindependent.org website to get a podcast of this broadcast and to listen to the wide variety of shows that our new radio station not so new anymore but it's really booming uh, is producing every day uh, so thank you very much Ted we really appreciate your being here thanks for having me